live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620 to talk on the show. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I am trying to be the glasses half full guy. It was terrible today, weather-wise. You go outside, you just cringe, and you say, hey, this is early March. It is not supposed to be this bad. And yet, regardless of what it's supposed to be, it is, in fact, this bad. But let me give you the glasses half full stuff. If you look towards the end of the week, it is supposed to, yes, get above freezing. Now, I understand that that's not necessarily something, oh, boy, it's going to be above freezing that you should necessarily be going out and doing some happy dance about. But the reality is it is supposed to be above freezing, and you would think that this is kind of the last real body blow of winter. I'm not saying we're not going to get snow, and I'm not saying it's not going to continue to be cold and miserable, but I'm talking about the minus 3, the minus 10, the minus 20 degree wind chill. My guess is once we get past the first couple days of this week, things will be better. I see light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully it is not a train coming the other way. All right, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, I, I spent... I spent about an hour and a half last night. We were we were visiting a, a friend whose mom is very, very sick. And so I, I didn't see the first 30 minutes or so of this HBO show, Leaving Neverland. But I, I did watch the last hour and a half. And then there's another two hours on tonight. You perhaps know Michael Jackson. Remember the King of Pop, Michael Jackson and the Moonwalk, Michael Jackson and Thriller, Michael Jackson and, you know, one of the biggest stars on the planet who passed away in number of years ago in in his 50s all right everybody knew that michael jackson was a strange cat i mean there's just no question about it the neverland ranch where he lived that had a giant amusement park and everybody knew about michael jackson's fascination with small children at one point in time while he was alive michael jackson was charged with child molestation Uh, a jury acquitted Michael Jackson of that. And since Michael Jackson has passed away, the Jackson family, the estate, has been making a fortune off of Michael Jackson because people have tended to forget about the allegations of child molestation and just concentrated on the guy's performance and the, the music and things like that. When we were... In Las Vegas, second last time, um, my wife and this couple that we were with, they, they wanted to go see the the show. It's called Michael Jackson One is what it's called. It's the Cirque du Soleil show. It's at Mandalay Bay. It's been there since 2013, so we went and we got tickets. And the three of them enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty strange. But, you know, r- regardless, it, it's it's packed. You know, it's playing to packed houses. There's Michael Jackson stuff all over. Like I say, the estate is making a ton of money because – we have short memories in this country, and people you know, tend to forget. And there's no question, Michael Jackson, particularly the younger version of Michael Jackson, was an incredibly talented performer. All right, if you have not seen this Leaving Neverland show, 
I encourage you to watch it. It was they debuted they debuted this documentary at the Sundance Music Festival, and it created this huge controversy, including you know sending threats from the Jackson uh, the Jackson family the surviving members that they're suing HBO and all these type of things. It it aired the first part, it's four hours, the first two-hour part aired on HBO last night. Essentially, what this does is it centers on two guys. One is a guy named Wade Robson, who is now 36, and the second is a guy named James Safechuck, who is now 40. And they're, they're doing on-camera interviews, and they allege that Jackson began sexually abusing them when they were age 7 and 10, respectively. Now, let, let me give you a warning, because there, there, is no, there are no punches pulled in this. I mean, there, the, the one guy who was 7 years old, and he met Michael Jackson when he won a dance contest in Australia, and Michael Jackson brought him and his mother and his sister to, to Los Angeles, and they performed in a commercial together and stuff. I mean, th- th- these are very graphic conversations, and he talks in great detail about what he says Michael Jackson did to him when he was seven years old. And when I say great detail, I mean great detail. I mean, there is no stone unturned. Michael Jackson did this, and then he taught me how to do that, and he encouraged me to do that. The other kid, who is the same situation, a kid at the time, he, he tells, even though they, they weren't really contemporaries, he tells the same story. I mean, their stories are almost identical as to how Michael Jackson was attracted to them. He brought them and their parents to the, the ranch. One kid was from Los Angeles. The other kid, like I say, was from Australia. The... The, the kid from Australia. I mean, I'm watching the story, and by the way, they have they have all these photographs. You know, I mean, so clearly there was a connection. Clearly, they stayed with Michael Jackson. I mean, and the the kids they they did their hair. They had their hair permed, so it looked like Michael Jackson when he had his hair permed, and they dressed in clothes like that. The kid from Australia, his mother, who is here. They show pictures of her, and she's in this documentary. They show pictures of her. She's she's dressed like Michael Jackson. She's got her hair permed like Michael Jackson does. It's just this really, really weird thing. The kid from Australia, who it was seven when this all started, according to him, I mean, he's here with his mother and sister, and, and pretty soon Michael Jackson is saying, okay, I want you to sleep in my bed, and the mother doesn't have any problem with that. The mother doesn't have any problem with that. Oh, this is great. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what kind of mother? I mean, I, I just, the mom is starstruck. The mom thinks, okay, Michael Jackson is going to be my kid's ticket to the big time. And, you know, what, what could possibly go wrong? It is a very, very painful documentary to watch because you, you see, and in my opinion, these guys are telling the truth. Let me just say that at the outset. They are telling the truth, and they describe how, you know, Jackson would molest them and then how he would tire of a given kid, and then he would go on to a different kid, and, and the pattern would just r- repeat itself. But all the while, you know, Michael Jackson would say things like, well, you know, we can't tell anybody that this is going on, and it's just us against the world. The one kid, the kid from Australia, he's got all these, these jewelries. Apparently, they, they had a wedding ceremony where the two of them got quote-unquote married, and the kid has this diamond ring that Michael Jackson gave him when he was eight years old. It is just this this incredibly bizarre 
troubling, difficult thing to watch. My wife watched it for about 15 minutes and said, I can't watch this anymore. I, I mean, it's just, it is just so incredibly painful and it's difficult and it's graphic. I was just rividly, I mean, I admit, I was just riveted to this. And again, I, I'm, I'm thinking of all the things about what a monster Michael Jackson appears to be. And, and these parents, like the one from Australia, the woman from Australia, she tells the story about how they, they came to Australia, from Australia here and then they went back and Michael Jackson brought them back. But by that time, he had moved on and he was fancying or interested in some other kid. And, you know, all, all the, the, the stage mom clearly thought Michael Jackson was going to be her son's ticket and her ticket to the big time. And then Jackson just got tired of her and, and moved on. So I, I'm, I'm watching all of this. Now, I said the Jackson estate says, oh, these these two are serial perjurers because they did when they were kids. They testified at Michael Jackson's child when he was on trial for child molestation. They testified, said, "Well, nothing, nothing happened then." Um, they now say, "Well, you know, we we were just kids, and this is what Michael Jackson drilled into us—that it's us against them—and they're all trying to destroy us." And they say, "This is just isn't true." It, it, it's, you know, when we testified under oath, you know, a long time ago, we were trying to help Michael because we still had these, you know, feelings for him. But now that we're 36 and 40, respectively, we think people should know, you know, what a guy he was to try to help people, you know, get over this. All right. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, of course, back in the news because this is hitting in a big way. If you have, and I don't know if you have HBO, I don't know if you chose to watch this last night. If you did, I would be interesting to discuss, interested to discuss it with you. I will tell you this, and I say this sincerely, there is no way, after having watched this documentary, there is no way in God's green earth that I would spend one more dime of my money going to any sort of Michael Jackson show a- at all. Because it is just, to me, I believe these guys. I believe that this is the tip of the iceberg. I believe that this guy was essentially, now he might have been screwed up himself because of his upbringing, but I believe he was a monster. And I believe he got away with being a monster because he was rich and talented and he had all these people that just absolutely loved him. I would not spend a dime. I'm sorry we went to the show in Mandalay Bay. I would not spend another dime on this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The show is called Leaving Neverland. Will this change the way Michael Jackson is perceived moving forward? Like I say, the Jackson estate is apoplectic about this because they recognize it has the potential to really hurt this cash cow that is the legacy of Michael Jackson. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Not one dime for me moving forward. All right, if you're a Michael Jackson fan... Does this change your perception at all? Should we care? I mean, he's been dead for a number of years now, clearly an incredible music talent. Should we care if this guy was a serial child molester? We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Lisa in Mequon. Lisa, good afternoon. Hey there, Jeff. I agree with you about the collective memory of this country being so 
inadequately short. And um, I was telling your screener, I think my relationship with Michael Jackson's music is over. Um, it'll be curious to see what part two brings with the relationship of the um, now grown children's mothers as they right. clearly were pimping out their children yes. for their own personal gain. Yeah, the, the one, the, the, the kid from Australia who, you know, the, the mother moves. So Jackson meets him in Australia. He wins this contest. So the mother moves to essentially to Los Angeles. Um, they move into the Neverland place with the daughter. The mother, who is dressing like Michael Jackson herself, she's allowing her seven-year-old son to sleep in the same bed with this, at the time, 30-some-year-old guy. What mo- Lisa, what mother does no, that? No, you know? no, a mother who isn't putting her children first. And you may have missed this as you came in a half an hour late, but when they moved, uh, the, when they came the first time to L.A., right. The mother allowed them to sleep with Michael Jackson after meeting him, not knowing him, but having met him for only four hours. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, it just, you know, it, and of course, you know, and then of course in that situation, then they ultimately end up going back to Australia and then they come back. She leaves her husband. They come back yes. because she thinks that this is going to, this is, he's going to turn her kid into a superstar. And by then he's moved on to somebody else and they're shocked because they're living in this crummy little apartment in Los Angeles and Michael's yeah. pretty much yeah. done with him. I was stunned, Lisa, by, by the great graphic natures of the description and i mean this it's a very difficult documentary to watch because I, yeah yeah we were all stunned and you know i felt that the uh, director may have deemed it absolutely necessary to see what the cruel nature of the grooming of a prey is and that's what he was doing right uh, my husband always said that Michael Jackson was a predator, and I said, you know, we had a confused childhood. I think his father was wickedly cruel um, yep. and subverted his growth, and he was incredibly immature. But like you, a very credible story of Michael Jackson. Yeah, right. Here. Thanks for calling. I see, and I, I'm with you, Lisa. The, the Jackson estate, which has brought in more than two B as in billion dollars since Michael Jackson's death at the age of 50, it's not going to get one more dime for me. I, I just I at, at some point in time, I, I think you just have to stop and say, no, there, there is there is enough of this stuff going on. And like I say, there is no question this is. You watch this documentary, and it, it's not like these kids were strangers. There's there's all sorts of there, – there's pictures of them. They're dressed like Michael Jackson. There's all this interaction. There's no question that these guys were at this place. There's no question they were sharing Michael Jackson's bed. And, again, I don't mean to be graphic about this, but, you know, what – you know what? What is a thirty-something or forty-something-year-old man doing sleeping with seven, eight, nine-year-old kids? Well, we know he wasn't just sleeping with them. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Joe in Jackson. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Quarter of a century later, they come out, and you know, there's obviously a financial impact on the estate. Uh, you know, it, you, so you don't think the guys are telling the truth? I, I just, I, I don't buy it as being. You know, I don't respond the way you're responding in the sense that I'm not going to give another dime to the estate, not considering that he's a dead man in the first place, can't even defend himself. The last time he did defend himself, he was acquitted. These same children, as, as surprised as you said the lady from Australia was 
about, um, you know, not kind of being pushed to the side. You said yourself that the guy, you know, the guy testified in the trial and said that nothing happened. Yep. And that was after the fact. So but, of course, that's how predators do. I mean, that, that's what they're uh, saying. They're saying we were conditioned. The, the, okay, the one guy, the guy has a the guy has a wedding ring that Michael Jackson gave him when he was eight years old. What does that tell you? Did you see him give it? Did you no, no, no. I see that he's got. I see that he's got the diamond ring. Well, I mean, so, so, I mean, how do we? It's a script, Jeff. Come on, it's it's a script that is really trying to tear down Michael Jackson. Because Michael Jackson is a sleazy child molester. Absolutely. That's a very classless thing to say, Jeff. Because well, you watch this, Joe. Did you watch the documentary? Did you watch the documentary? Did you watch the documentary? That's a yes or no question, Joe. Did you watch the documentary? Did you watch the doc? Well, you you say, uh, Joe, I'm sorry. You Obviously, you didn't watch the documentary. That is a yes or no question. You say, well, I don't believe these people. They have to be lying. Well, you can't make that sense unless you've listened to them and you've heard their story and you've seen the photographs that they have with Michael Jackson and you've heard the parents come and say, yeah, we were at the house and we allowed them to sleep there. Now, look, I, I have, there's a lot of blame that goes around here. I mean, I got I have no sympathy for these parents at all. I mean, what type? of parents you know allow their their kids to interact in this fashion but i mean it is very very clear to me and i guess i believe the allegations um you you see the way this was set up i think this guy was a major child molester and a predator and and yeah i i think that i understand why the a state is so upset with this because it's going to perhaps derail the cash train. Now, maybe there's people out there that just don't care, but um, you watch this documentary, and I think the vast majority of people are going to come away saying, man, th- these people are believable. You look at the photographs. You look at the stuff they have. No, I didn't see Michael Jackson give the 8-year-old boy the diamond wedding ring, but I-, I don't think he got it from anywhere else in the wedding ceremony that he talks about how the two of them had. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so glad to have you with us. This week's Home Improvement Spring Showcase is brought to you by Serta Pro Painters. That's Serta Pro Painters who say, we do painting, you do life. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I, matter of fact, I sent out some links to some of this Michael Jackson stuff. And we're, th- this is, I, I will tell you, this is generating this huge controversy because there's a number of people who just love Michael Jackson. And they they don't care. They don't believe any of these people. They don't believe there was another lawsuit that somebody filed on child molestation that was settled for millions and millions of dollars with the understanding that the person wouldn't cooperate, wouldn't talk. But they, they, they just love Michael Jackson. So there is this huge battle that's going on. On, in the Twitterverse, and you can decide, you know, where you come down on it. For me, yes, I have made that decision. And I'll tell you, I really don't have to go any further than this. I think when I hear stories, and, and nobody disputes the fact that at this Neverland Ranch, Michael Jackson, when he was in his 30s and 40s, would take seven and eight year old boys to bed. And without being great, now, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, when I hear that, I, I yes, maybe it is theoretically possible that these guys are lying when they say in great detail what he did to them or had them do to him when they were in bed together. But when I hear 30-something, 40-something-year-old guy taking small boys to bed, 
I that that strikes me that's predatory. <laughs> I just that's not a normal thing. And yes, I, I believe these guys when they describe it. And again, I, I have no sympathy for their their starstruck parents who, I mean, so the way they try to portray it is, well, we were just we were bedazzled by Michael Jackson and all this stuff. And he's flying us around first class and all. I, I, I don't care. So I fault a lot of the parents. But it, it's just it is this bizarre thing. And you can decide for yourself, but like I say, not one dime from me moving forward goes to anything associated with Michael Jackson. All right, I want to switch gears. For most of my, for all of my adult life, I've always worked at jobs where I had fixed schedules. I mean, I knew I knew when I was supposed to be at work. I knew what my hours were going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Now, my first job, when I was in high school, was I was a, I don't know if you can say stock boy anymore because that might be politically incorrect, but I was a stock boy and I worked um, at this Treasure Island store. Treasure Island was like the discount version of a JCPenney store and there was a Treasure Island store that was located on Green Bay Road and Brown Deer Road in, in, in Milwaukee. And that was the first job, I mean, I'm talking about beyond shoveling snow and delivering papers and things like that that i had that job when i was in high school and i i would go out after high school and i'd work weekends and i'd you know i was a stock boy and i worked in the toy department as a matter of fact so what i would do is you'd you know you'd go and you'd take these these empty skid things and you'd you'd go and you they'd have all the toys the games and stuff that were back in the warehouse and you'd what you do is you'd load them up and you'd bring them and you'd stock them that's i was literally a stock boy and I, i i remember that I did not have fixed hours. Um, some weeks I would work, and this was, again, it was after school and it was weekends, so some weeks maybe I'd work 20 or 25 hours. Other weeks I, I'd work 12 hours or maybe even less. It all depended on you know what other people were doing. It depended on what the demand was. Obviously, around Christmas time, there's much more demand. But you would get your schedule like every week, and it would tell you, you know, the schedule would come out like on Friday and it would tell you how many hours and what days you were working. And like I said, some days it would be Monday and Wednesday. Some days maybe it would be, you know, Monday, Thursday, whatever. It, it would vary. And you, you'd get your schedule a few days in advance. And then you'd have to adjust your life to this. And that's the way a lot of places work nowadays. The, the idea that you... You know, you go in, you find out what your hours are going to be, and there's a lot of people who are working in the restaurant industry, um, working fast food in particular, and you're working retail, and, and that's that's it. They they find that hey, you know, my hours are going to vary from week to week. And they're going to be subject to change depending on a lot of things, including who else is available for stuff, what we think the demand is going to be, etc. In some cases, people don't have consistent hours. For example, maybe you work a retail job and someday, you know, one day, maybe you have to close Friday night. You're working Friday evenings and you're scheduled. It's a part-time job at a, I don't know, store that sells men's clothing. And you're, you go in, you check the schedule, and you find out that you've got to work from 5 till 10 o'clock at night, and you've got to close the store. And then 
you got to come back in at 9 o'clock the next morning because you're on the first shift. You've got to open it. They call it clopening, close and opening, clopening. But you know, sometimes you, you find that happening. Your hours are erratic, and they, they vary. And it, it's tough to say because you're saying, okay, especially if you're working a part-time job, hey, some weeks I'm working 22 hours, some weeks I'm working 28, some weeks I'm working 35. It's it is a it's a bit of a stretch and it's difficult. I bring this up because there is a new proposal in Los Angeles that mirrors other cities. Philadelphia has one. New York is working on one, which would limit the ability of employers to mess around with your schedule. Here's what the law would say. If you are a retailer, you have to give workers two weeks advance notice of the hours that you are expected to work. In addition, retailers would have to allow you at least 10 free hours between shifts. So you you couldn't be expected to work and then until like 11 o'clock at night and then come back at 7.30 the next morning. That's kind of the idea. Workers would have the right to refuse shifts within 11 hours or less. Um, if that were the case, let's see, the ordinance would guarantee workers at least two weeks' notice of their schedules, require employers to first offer existing employees additional hours prior to hiring additional workers. If an employer changes an employee's schedule with less than 24 hours' notice, the employer would have to provide one additional hour of pay for each changed shift. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this this is a change in the way things have, have been. And if you've worked in the hospitality industry, if you've worked fast food, if you've worked in retail, you understand that one of the things that happens from time to time is your schedule will be subject to change. That clearly can cause discomfort. You know, it can cause a bit of scrambling. It's nice to have the same hours every day. I believe that, week after week. But, but, should the law say employers can't do that? Should employees be guaranteed two weeks' notice of what the schedule is going to be, and then if there are changes, they have to essentially be paid a premium? 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As with lots of things, for example, the minimum wage, I think you do something like this, and what you're going to find is, well, the employees aren't going to like some of the unattended cons- intended consequences. But let's discuss. 414-799-1620, should the law, should cities, should the state say to employers, you essentially can't change schedules. You've got to come out every two weeks, two weeks' notice as to what the schedule is going to be, and you have to pay penalties if you don't. 414-799-1620. How will employers in the real world react to that? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right, this is the latest craze that is sweeping the nation. We just t- described it. it. It's sort of mandatory scheduling. Employers who have hourly employees would be required to give those employees two weeks' notice as to what their schedule is going to be. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Cindy in Stevens Point. Cindy, you're first. Hello. Hi, 
Hi. Um, the only thing is, is like road construction and farming, stuff like that. Um, people work till dark. And they start again at 5 a.m. the next morning. Um, so I don't know how this is ever going to work. And then if you go by rainfall and everything else, by the conditions outside. So, I mean, it's a good thing in a way because then they can't take advantage of you. But with the t- type of construction and all kinds of stuff that goes on, I don't know how that's going to work, how it's going to play out. Well, or, I mean, let me give you other examples. Um, we have, in Stevens Point and in Milwaukee, we get this thing called snow. Right, so, so what? What if it's a situation where all of a sudden, you know, you've got you've got people that are you've got people that are scheduled. You've made up the schedule, anticipating that there's going to be a certain amount of business that's coming in, and then you've done that two weeks ago, and then all of a sudden, what happens is you get a foot of snow followed by thirty degree below zero weather, and nobody right. is going out shopping. <laughs> you know, no, right. no, you know. So should so the employer then isn't able to say, hey. Hey, you know, we don't have. We thought we thought people were going to be coming into the restaurant. Well, nobody's yeah. going out on nights yeah. like this. No, no, yeah. Th- yeah, th- thanks for calling. See, that's 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 what these these real world problems are. Now, look, I understand the sentiment behind this. The idea being, well, wouldn't it be nice for people to know what their hours are going to be because they've got childcare things, and 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 I get it. I mean, I understand that. But think about what's going to happen on the flip side of this. What about I mean, first of all, if you have an employer that's that's jerking you around on scheduling and being unreasonable and it doesn't uh, doesn't fit into your lifestyle. Well, maybe the answer is, okay. maybe find a different employer, one who is more sensitive to that. And I am not saying that I don't think employers should be sensitive to the needs of their employees and work with the scheduling. Good employers do that. And that's an incentive. And if you're not working, if you're working for somebody that's mistreating you, maybe that's a, a good argument for why you want to be looking down the street to find somebody who's maybe a little bit more sensitive to your hours. So I, I understand the thing. I'm just saying I don't think the government needs to be involved in this. Making these laws, I think, provide unworkable situations. And again, just like Cindy and I were talking about, what what if you get bad weather? Two weeks earlier, you're thinking, hey, this is going to be, it's Valentine's Day week, and we're going to be packed in the restaurant because we're going to be having all sorts of people come in for Valentine's Day dinner, and then the day before Valentine's Day, you get the foot of snow, and then you get the 25 degree below zero weather, and nobody wants to go out. So are you saying that the employer shouldn't be able to say to the employees, sorry, we, we don't need you? <laughs> well, all right. What is the answer to that going to be? Well, the answer to that is going to be how will the employers react? They're just not going to hire as many people. That That's just going to be the answer to this. Um, 414-799-1620. Um, I, I think if you've got an employer that is mistreating you and bouncing you around, then, then you should find another job if it's a big deal for you. But I think for a lot of people, you just understand that this kind of comes with the territory. And how do you flip this? What about the employee who then decides, okay, I've seen the schedule. The schedules come out two weeks ago. And now um, I don't I don't like it. I, I it was okay two weeks ago, but now you know what I've got a date on Friday night, or I, I forgot that I've got the wrestling meet, or I, I've got this to go to, or whatever. So you have the employee who doesn't show up, or the employee who calls in sick. I mean, what are you going to do in that sort of situation? Are we going to go after? 
the employees as well? I, I think the answer would be no. Uh, here's Mary in Mount Pleasant. She sends a text. My daughter works for uh, a McDonald's. Her schedule can vary by several hours in one week, sometimes a 5 a.m. start in the same week, sometimes 7 or sometimes 9 a.m. She doesn't get uh, uh, her hours until a few days before in some weeks. And I'm certain that that's true, and I'm certain that it's a pain in the butt to do that. But, and again, this is a big but, right? If you really feel that you're being mistreated, okay, find a different place to work. You know, go down the street, go over to the Wendy's or whatever if they think that the McDonald's people are treating you wrong. Here's another one of our texts. Michelle makes the point that I make a lot when we have these discussions. One word, automation. That is the other effect of this. If you start and when you start imposing more and more restrictions and rules and limitations on employers, you make automation all the more attractive. If the idea is, and let's go back to something we talked about a little bit last week when we were discussing the $15 an hour minimum wage. Right? Let's say you have a situation where you're you're doing the schedule for the fast food place and, and you just you just don't know two weeks ahead of time, you know, how many people you're necessarily going to need or who is available. Well, if you put in this rule that says, you, you know, you've got to guarantee people that this is what their spot is going to be or else you have to pay them a premium, how long is it going to be before you say, you know what, those self-service kiosks that I can buy for $8,000, well, all right, what's the payback? period going to be and you know what i think i'm going to go get that self-service kiosk and then you know i'm going to be able to let two of the three employees go and yeah then i'm not going to have a problem with the one employee who's left giving them all the hours but they're going to be the only one left kevin in milwaukee kevin you're on wtmj hello kevin yes sir hi kevin what do you think well just you were you you had me on hold i still think it's just a matter of a a person getting their pockets picked by the government. It's the pocket, the person getting their pocket picked is the business. Mm-hmm. It's an overreach, period, and simple. It's who gets that money. The employees don't benefit from it. And if you know anybody in the service industry, the first thing they'll tell you is, we can't find help. So how does this help anybody? Any, any major service area, the urban areas, they're screaming for help at every level of service sector. Right. I don't see how this is nothing anything more than somebody creating another government bureau, which should already be enforced by state wage and hour bureau, much less a city or a county. Well, well, right. I mean, thanks. And then, of course, you've got you know the the different communities that have the different rules. Um, here's a text, Jeff. All restaurants then aren't able to cut waitness, waitresses when they're dead slow. Majority of those waitresses want to go home anyways because they're not making money. Right. That that would that would be the thing. Okay. Let's. All right, let, let's be realistic. Let's say you're working as, as a waiter or a waitress, you know, in, in the service industry, and yes, you get a base salary, but that's pretty, base wage, that's pretty low. You really depend on, on tips. All right, so let's say you have this situation where, all right, you're on the schedule, and they, they've, you've seen the schedule for two weeks, but then, you know, the restaurant says, hey, you know, we don't have any reservations on Thursday. Yeah, we, we were hoping it was going to pick up, you know, but the weather's bad or there's something else going on. So we have four or five people that are scheduled, but the truth is we know that there's only going to be enough work really for two people. So what would you rather have happen? Would you rather have the restaurant, in this case, cut half the people, 
which they do now, and to say, okay, don't bother coming in because it's really not going to be worth your time, or say, no, you've got to come in, you've got to sit around, and, and yeah, we're going to pay you whatever the, the below minimum wage is, but you're not going to make the money you want because if we change your schedule, we've got to pay you a premium. Well, my guess is most of the people in the service industry would say, well, if you know there's not going to be enough work for me, don't bring me in. Um, let's say here's another text. Kim says, do they ever think of the unintended consequences of these mandates? Now employers will simply give a bunch of on-call shifts to make sure they can cut you if weather or business requires. That's worse than a schedule coming out late. You bet. 1256, Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, you know that there is this place called Las Vegas? You have heard of this place <laughs> called Las Vegas, I'm right? aware of it, yes. And, and I am told that in this place called Las Vegas, there is the opportunity to actually place wagers on mm. all sorts of different things. Coin of the realm. You can bet on stuff happening. Yep. Curious. Isn't okay. it amazing that there would be a place like that? All right. Uh, the folks in Las Vegas do not think much about our Milwaukee Brewers. Now, do you know? Do you know what the there is this thing called an over under, which means that you can go to this place called Las Vegas and you can they will set a number of games mm-hmm. that they think the Brewers will win, and you can either wager that the Brewers will win more than right. that number right. or less than that number over under, and you can bet on that. La- okay, so there's there's 162 games in a year. Mm-hmm. 81 and 81 would be a 500 record. Yep. Last year, the Brewers won 96 games. Do you know what the over-under is in Vegas this year? Well, considering that the con- the, it's, the division's a lot tougher this year, you could argue. Teams are getting better. I will say their over-under is 87. Very good. Am eight, I right? Eight, eight, 86. Oh. 86. So the, the Las Vegas odds makers think that the Brewers are going to win 10 fewer games this year Tougher than division. they won last year. Tougher mm-hmm. division, you could say. Um, they're also, if, if you look at the odds to win the World Series and stuff, the Vegas odds makers think the Brewers are most likely to come in third in the division behind mm. St. Louis and Chicago. They're getting no love. Gru, who's producing the show, you take that bet? You think they're going to win more than 86? They're going to win at least 90. My producer, Gru, That's going out. confident out. bet right there. Well, right. I, I will, um, and you see, I, I listen to all these, like, national baseball shows and all, and I admit, I, I have been sort of frustrated. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for the home team here. I have been frustrated by the lack of love the Brewers have gotten. You know, it's like, well, last year was an aberration, and they were lucky, and they got hot at the right time, and they haven't done anything in the off season really to improve themselves. Yeah. There's no love at all. Mm-hmm. I. I, and see, and I don't, I don't buy that. I, I am, I am going to this mythical place called Las Vegas in a couple of weeks, and I will, I will be reaching into my pocket and betting coin of the realm. Okay, I, I think, I think that they're going to do better than eighty six games. And, and by the way, the off season isn't over yet. There are still some players that could end up being oh. Brewers before opening day. So yeah. keep that in mind. So, so put get, that bet down. Get, get that bet later, down. Yeah. I, I just think. I mean, yeah. I mean, look. I, do I think they're going to win ninety six games? Well, that's a whole different story. I mean, tough. that right? Because I mean, everything fell into place and they got really hot at the right time. But I think it's a stronger team this year than last year. And and a ten game drop off would be a lot. I just I no. I I think that's. 
I think that they are just giving away money in Las Vegas. And if they're going to be giving away money on the Milwaukee Brewers, I, I intend to take that money. That's, that's exactly right. All so right. yeah, that's it. So yeah, 86 is the, uh, eight, I think it's 86 and a half. So it's kind of right where, where you were. If they win 87, you would win. If they win 86, you, mm-hmm. you would lose your bet. I'm, I'm going to go do that. I think that that's when I get there in a couple of weeks. Don't, now, don't get me started about my Marquette men's basketball team. Oh, that was <laughs> tough game yesterday. Tough, Jeez. tough game yesterday. And I, unless they figure, unless they figure something out in a hurry, I, it pains me to say this, but they're going nowhere. No, fast. stop it. It's just been a rough week. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Man, I, I go to I, I go to too many of the games, and I, the teams have just kind of figured out how to play Marquette. And hopefully, hopefully, the coach will be able to figure that out as well. But don't know. All right. That's the interesting bit of trivia. The over-under is 86.5. I have there, there was a story over the weekend. Matter of fact, I sent out a tweet on this. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 uh, about this. Because ever since the Super Bowl, I have not understood the, this story. And I've not understood the significance of the story. There is the light beer market is, of course, a very profitable segment. But it, it's carved up. You've got Miller Light, you've got Coors Light, you've got Bud Light. And I actually kind of see the three beers as sort of interchangeable. I, I really do. But but people people feel very strongly. I have friends who will drink nothing but Bud Light. I have my dear friend Colleen, who is a Miller Light drinker. I know people who drink Coors Light. And I, I mean, again, it's, it, it's just, and, and to me, it doesn't really make that much difference. I guess I have slight preferences, but only slight preferences. I, I don't feel strongly about any of them. But it is a very, very contested area of the beer business. So during the, the Super Bowl, Bud Light has been the, the big dog in this area for a number of years. But Bud Light's their, their share has been declining at a rate higher than the other two shares ha- have been. So Bud Light rolled out these ads during the Super Bowl where they featured like the Bud Light Knight and they featured the, the, the king, you know, it said in these medieval times. And you'll remember the ad. It was like a lo- it was like a two minute ad where the, the Bud Light Kingdom is going to the Miller Light Kingdom and then the Coors Light Kingdom and they're hauling this huge vat of of corn syrup. And uh, you know, th- that was it. Like we're our 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 beer isn't made with corn syrup. Yeah, okay. And the the follow-up to this now, and the Journal Sentinel had this story, is there are now a series of billboards that have sprung up in the Milwaukee area that simply say Miller Lite uses corn syrup. These are sponsored by Budweiser. So there's like, you haven't heard about this, Gru, huh? No, there's, no, there's like, there's five ads all throughout Milwaukee sponsored by Anheuser-Busch, and what they say is that Miller Lite uses corn syrup. Um, let's see, like one is off of I-94 in Oak Creek. Um, they're, so they're out there. Okay, um, they, are, they are continuing to focus on this. Now, I sent a tweet out on Saturday, and you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 that said, forget the stupid billboards. If Budweiser really wants to stick it to Miller in Milwaukee, they should underwrite the July 3rd lakefront fireworks. I mean, take that money that you're spending on these dumb billboards and, you know, put it towards something that would really get people's attention, like underwriting the July 3rd lakefront uh, things that we, we need that or else you're going to lose the fireworks because uh, U.S. Bank pulled out. 
All right, but but this is what Budweiser is continuing to do, and this is part of this national campaign. Miller Lite uses corn syrup. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that the people who devise these advertising campaigns are paid a lot of money. And I understand that a lot of them, when it comes to popular culture and understanding tastes and what's going to work, I understand that a lot of them think they know a lot more than, for example, people like me. Of course, you still do get stuff like New Coke and things like that. But but these are the ads. And this is what Miller, this is, is what Budweiser is doing. It wasn't just a one-off. This is their big campaign. Miller Lite uses corn syrup. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me just say this. I, I, I fail to understand this marketing strategy at, at all. I can't imagine that there is one person who is going to either start drinking Bud Light or stop drinking Miller Light because of this whole corn syrup thing. Now, let's not even get into the whole argument that the thing is extremely misleading as to what the corn syrup and stuff does and what they use it for and all that. But, but I mean, you're, you're talking about various types of light beer. I just don't see, I think this might go down as one of the worst advertising campaigns ever as far as uh, effectiveness that is motivating people to either use your product or stop using another product. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you going to stop drinking Miller Lite or start drinking Bud Light because Miller Lite uses corn syrup? 414-799-1620. And the other billboard that they have up says, Bud Light, we don't. Is, is this an effective advertising campaign? For those of you, if you're a light beer drinker, do you care? 414-799-1620, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. I, I, I just don't. It's just, it's like, okay, it's beer. It's not necessarily like it's a health food product, okay? I'm not drinking a carrot smoothie. I'm drinking light beer. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, if you haven't noticed this, around the area, Bud Light, Budweiser, has just put up a series of billboards, again, going after Miller Light on this whole corn syrup thing. The billboards, and they come in a pair. One says Miller Light uses corn syrup, Bud Light, we don't. Brad in Germantown. Brad, good afternoon. Hey, I think it's going to have a negative impact. Really? Tell me why. I think if you think about Facebook and how that's where people get their news from, right? They take everything at face value. They don't do their own research. They're going to see these billboards, and they're going to equate corn syrup to high fructose corn syrup, which we know is not the best. Right, yeah. The, the, whole, the whole thing is high fructose corn syrup. Corn syrup is just they, they use it as a catalyst to help ferment the stuff. So, right, it's right, a misleading ad, yeah. Yeah, but you think it's going to work? Well, I think it'll have a negative impact. I don't drink either. Yeah. I'm more of a craft beer guy, but, uh, yeah, I think it's going to have a little bit of an impact. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I am intrigued by that. If you are a Miller Light drinker or a Coors Light drinker or even a Bud Light drinker, what do you think of this ad campaign? Is this, if you're drinking Miller Light, and I know people who love Miller Light, love Miller Light, are 
are you inclined to say, well, maybe I need to try some other stuff? I just, I, I mean, I just don't see this as being a motivating factor in, or if people, you know, don't drink light beer, saying, well, I'm now going to suddenly either switch or I'm going to start drinking light beer and I'm going to go to Bud Light because of this corn syrup. 414-799-1620. Let's go to the text line. Bud Light uh, is losing share to Miller Light, so any news helps the cause of a big brand when it loses out on higher calories, carbs, and taste. Well, maybe they're trying to change the story. Let's see. Uh, Chuck says, it's not high fructose corn syrup. People who know anything about brewing know this. Pabst recipe used a corn wort. It's all in the history. Yeah, that's that's why it's a misleading ad as well. Here's a text. Jeff, I'll always drink Miller Lite. Here's another text. When I first saw this during the Super Bowl, I thought it was the dumbest commercial I've ever seen. It makes absolutely no sense. It's definitely not going to stop me from drinking Milwaukee's Miller Lite. Yeah, I guess that's that's kind of the, the sense that I, I had on this. And again, I it's okay. This isn't an ad that says something like, all right, uh, our we have produced a cigarette that is completely and totally non-carcinogenic. I mean, it's our, we've got a cigarette that we're making that this doesn't have any of the problems with tobacco. If you like all the things that come along with smoking, but none of the risks here by our product. Okay, that that I could understand maybe would be something that people would say, gee, I can smoke a cigarette and, and it, it could be almost like a health product. Now, they don't make those kind of cigarettes, but I could at least understand that. In this particular situation, I just... I just think it's lost on me that people are going to change their preferences. Randy in Waukesha. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi. I'm a Miller Lite drinker. Always have been. Number one, because I, I do consider it a local brew. And number two, because it's lower in carbs than Bud Light. I'll drink a Bud Light if I'm at a festival that's featuring Budweiser products only. But I'm not going to switch from Miller Lite because of this whole silly corn syrup thing. Yeah, I, I mean, and I guess I just don't see the person. I don't see anybody doing that. I mean, you you like your you know you like your Miller Lite. My guess is you probably had Coors Light. You probably had Bud Light. You know what it is that you prefer, and, and it's not a health food product. You're gonna you're going to buy the one that tastes best to you. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that that's what I. That's why now, I mean, I think, for example, the, the Miller Lite ads that they used to run, the taste great, the less filling stuff, I thought that was incredibly clever. Matter of fact, I think some those were some of the best ads ever where you had the the, the sports figures. Remember Bob Euchre used to do those ads, the taste great, less filling, those sort of things. And then they used the attractive female models, taste great, less filling. I thought that was – those were kind of clever, and it called attention to the brand. Gregory in Bayview. Gregory, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Okay, you going to start drinking Bud Light? Oh, God, no. <laughs> um, Miller is the best, no question. But um, I'm in advertising and marketing and things, and I I think uh, after watching the Super Bowl and seeing all the money they spent on those ads, it just seems like they're going after a big target, and the big target is not the one that's really uh, – hurting them it's all of these craft beers just like one of your callers said before he mm-hmm. likes craft beer it's death by a thousand cuts and Budweiser just doesn't know where to put their money anymore because they can't go after you know a thousand different brew pubs they right. go after the other big brewery that 
they can uh, attack. I guess. Wait, wait, do you think that the average consumer knows or cares about corn syrup one way or the other? Uh, honestly, I don't. I don't I, I think there is a direct connect with uh, corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup, and I think Budweiser was definitely going for that. But um, I think the average consumer doesn't care. And honestly, uh, the groups that really like Miller Lite and Bud Light and things – they're brand loyalists, and they're not yeah. going to change for anything. No, 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 and, and it's it is kind of funny because again, I have. I, I'm not typically a light beer drinker. I'll, I'll have it sometimes. But, I mean, I have friends who are all across the map on Coors Light, Bud Light, and Miller Light. And it is kind of funny to watch them all get together in a bar because they all feel very strongly about their different brews. And to tell you the honest and goodness truth, Gregory, it all all those light beers pretty much taste the same to me. You know, they all they kind of, Yeah, I totally agree. And I think we learned that from our grandparents or our grandpas. You know, they just were loyal to the to yeah. Pabst or Miller or, or whatever and we just sort of learned that but yeah. craft beer is a different animal and uh, they're having a hard time trying to figure out oh yeah how to stay alive oh, oh yeah I mean thanks for, I mean yeah you you put a lakefront IPA in front of me and I can tell you the difference between the lakefront IPA and a Bud Light I will be able to tell you what they are now I will tell you though I mean you put a couple IPAs in front of me and I I'm not sure I can tell you the difference between Lakefront and a Lagunitas or something like that. But I mean, it's it, it because I'm just not that sophisticated enough. But you know, you you put a blindfold on me and you you put a Miller Light and a Coors Light and a Bud Light, and I think I'm guessing. I mean, I think that's the the truth of the matter. And I I don't know that I notice enough of a difference one way or the other between any of them that I would feel strongly enough to kind of provoke an argument. Now, here's a text from Jeff who makes an interesting point. I remember all the discussion about this right after the Super Bowl, and there was so much. Back Backlash about the commercial that I'm decided they decide. I'm surprised they decided to continue with the campaign, but maybe they're just continuing to get publicity off it. After all, here we are talking about it now again on the radio. Yeah, that's true. You put up a few billboards for you know a couple thousand dollars, and you get a story in the paper, and you get 20 minutes of conversation about it on the radio. Maybe that's all this is supposed to do: just get brand awareness out there. Maybe 127, Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yep. All right. His Maserati does 185. He lost his license, but you know Joe Walsh now he doesn't drive, which is probably a good thing all around. Now, why do we use that as our get back music for this segment? Well, it's because of Volvo. Now, maybe you have heard of Volvo. Maybe you drive a Volvo. Volvo used to be a Swedish automotive brand. The Chinese own Volvo now. <laughs> so Volvo is a, a Chinese-owned Swedish automotive brand. Volvo has always marketed itself as being a safety-conscious car. That's one of the big things that they have always emphasized year after year after year. With all due respect, Volvos haven't necessarily been the most stylish of vehicles, but one of the things you could always count on is they were supposed to be, again, extremely safe. I bring this up kind of as a follow-up to what we were talking about in the last segment of the program about what it is that moves the needle for consumers. Like I was saying in the last segment, I, I don't 
I don't understand Bud Light's marketing campaign about the, this corn syrup. I don't think that moves the needle. Here's what Volvo has announced they are going to do, and this announcement came out today. Volvo wants to call attention to the dangers of speeding. So what Volvo said today is that on all their vehicles, um, new 2020, by 2020, they have set a goal of zero fatalities or serious injuries in their vehicles. And what they are going to do is they are essentially going to put limits. Um, they say they will stop cars their cars from going faster than 180 kilometers per hour. That works out to 112 miles an hour. They're going to put governors on their car, so you, under no circumstance, could you drive them faster than 112 miles an hour. They said they are also considering other technology which would put stricter speed limits on cars when the cars are driving near schools and hospitals. So they would put governors on there. I have never driven a car 112 miles an hour. Most cars today can drive faster than 150 miles an hour. Did you know that, Gru? Most cars can drive faster than 150 miles an hour. Some automakers offer performance cars capable of driving even faster than that. Volvo says, we consider ourselves to be a leader in safety. While a speed limitation is not a cure-all, it's worth doing if we can save even one life. We want, this is Volvo saying, we want to start a conversation about whether car makers have the right or maybe even an obligation to install technology in cars that changes the driver's behavior to tackle things like speeding. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this something that you would like to see automakers do? That is, put, the technology is apparently there, put on governors, put on, again, use the computer-assisted technology to theoretically, I don't know, through the GPS systems, identify, you know, where the schools are, identify where the hospital zones are, all those type of things. I I would imagine technologically you can do that nowadays with the GPS to the point that it would limit you. So Volvo says you're not going to be able to drive the car faster than 112 miles an hour, and we are looking at taking it even further. That technology and I'll, I'll let you figure out how you magically do it but maybe it says hey you're coming up to a school zone and the gps tells you that and boom all of a sudden the governor kicks in and you can't drive the car faster than 30 miles an hour or whatever 414-799-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line would you like to see car makers do this across the board and would you be inclined to buy a car that has this particular technology in it? Is this one that says, hey, this would move the needle? I'm, I'm more inclined to go out and buy myself a Volvo because I know I can't drive it faster than 112 miles an hour. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Steve in New Berlin. Steve, you're first. Hello. 
Hello. Uh, first, I just want to preface this by saying I know a little bit about this. I'm an avid car guy, and I also do automotive track days where I put my car on a racetrack and <laughs> drive as fast as I can. And so, so you I have driven faster than 112 miles an hour, I would guess. <laughs> uh, yes, on a number of occasions. <laughs> Got it. Um, I don't see how what they're trying to implement is going to make a difference. How many crashes happen because someone's over 112 miles per hour? Because they're speeding, sure, but over 112, that's... Not common. Well, well, right. And, yeah, I, you, you make an interesting point. I would imagine most of the, ca- and again, this is just off the top of my head. I would imagine most of the catastrophic and or fatal collisions, it's the guy that that blows through the red light, sixty, seventy, eighty miles, whatever. But they blow through the red light and hit the, you know, hit the side of the other car. It, it's it's as much that as it is as it is speed. I would imagine. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Uh, and then the school zone and the hospital thing. That's kind of a nice thing sure go for it but don't expect that to have any meaningful effect right would you be less likely to buy a car that let's say volvo does this and and they and they do extend it to the school stuff and all those things would that say i want to go out and buy a volvo or would it maybe discourage you from wanting to buy the volvo um would it discourage me yes (laughs) just because of what i like to do with my cars but would it discourage the average driver um, I don't think so. Maybe some people like it, and a lot of people like um, feeling good about things, even if it has little to no effect. So, <laughs> got it. Yeah, th- thanks. Well, I guess I I will tell you. I I I mean the, the the governor at the high end of the speed. I mean I I've never driven a car 112 miles an hour, and I don't intend to drive a car 112 miles an hour. I will tell you this though, and and this isn't from a perspective of somebody who speeds in hospital zones or school zones or whatever. I would not want that loss of control. I I don't want the technology saying, okay, I've got something sensed on the, the GPS, and this might be a school, and so, boom, I'm going to automatically make it impossible for you to drive faster than 30 miles an hour. I don't want that much technology in my car, and I will tell you, it, it would be a turnoff. It would be something that would make me, in that case, less likely to buy the vehicle. The high the high end speed doesn't matter one way or the other. I'm, I'm that I don't care about that. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. I think it would be a turnoff for consumers. I think people want to have less less governors and less big brother. I'm not opposed to the uh, high end thing. Who's you know who's driving 112 miles an hour unless you're a cop going after somebody. But <clears throat> on the other hand. Let's say you're going through a school zone and there's no school that day. You slow down to 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour, and you can't go any faster. Or there's a pedestrian crossing and there's no pedestrians there, and the car slows down anyway. Right. That'd be kind of really annoying to me. Yeah, well, I guess I I don't, and I'm I'm not, and I know you're not advocating speeding in school zones or hospital zones, and I'm not either, but it's just I, I don't want the GPS and the car taking over for me in those situations. I, I just may, maybe I'm in a hurry. Maybe you've got you know your wife or your you know daughter who's rushing to the hospital to to because she's having a baby. Just, I'm just trying to think of examples. You know, you don't want all of a sudden boom. I'm I'm, I'm down. I can't drive faster than 25 miles an hour. I I just don't want the car taking over. I don't need the car to take over like that. Uh, I don't either. Yeah, thanks. I wouldn't the, buy it. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I wouldn't either. Now, the interesting thing will be, in this case, Volvo is doing this as a business operation. They're saying, okay, we're going to put this stuff in, and we believe that this is going to be something that you know will attract consumers. My question is, what happens 
if the government gets involved. You know, will you see, once this technology is out there, you know, will you see a movement afoot by the government to say, okay, we've decided we're going to put maximum limits on this. We're not going to let a car, in this case, drive faster than 112, but what about 85? You know, the what is the maximum speed limit in this country? What is it, 80, maybe 85 miles an hour? All right, so they say, all right, this is the technology. This is what we are going to require you to do if you want to sell an automobile in this country. Is this the proposal now? No, but is it a possibility? Perhaps. Here's a text. Jeff, I think all cars should have restrictions on the current speed limit. It drives me nuts that people look at the speed limit signs as suggestions rather than a law. I would give someone up to five. Other, otherwise, there, there's no reason to be going that much faster. Well, I mean, I guess the technology is that you you could conceivably do that, and the government has all sorts of limits on mile per gallon and stuff. I mean, theoretically, you could do it. Would we want that? Steve in Illinois. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What do you think? I, I like what you're talking about. I think it's a good idea that Volvo's doing that, but I would like to see them put some kind of governor on there that would stop these people from running past the school buses when they're stopped letting kids off. I see it way too much all of a sudden, and, and I think that something like that would be great. Um, but at the same time, who can afford a Volvo? <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Thanks. Well, people that want to drive faster than 112. No, thanks. For, no, I mean, again, I, I've i never owned a Volvo. I had, I had friends that owned one. And and actually, again, it's their, their reputation is built around safety. That's the that's the one thing I always heard about Volvos, that the things are kind of like tanks. And you can, you know, you you they are very, very safe. I don't know if that's still true. I haven't looked at the, my, my very close friend of mine studies all the crashworthy stuff, the crash dad and things like that. I. Um, I don't. I guess to me, it's it's just this bigger point. I don't think that this is a great marketing idea, but I do wonder whether or not 10 years from now, five years from now, as this technology becomes more prevalent, are we going to see this across the world? The idea that you don't need to drive that fast. So here, we're going to require the automakers to, I mean, we have limits now on flush toilets, for goodness sakes. How much water you can put in the toilet. We've got limits on, um, you know, how the, the shower heads operate. How much water can come out of the shower heads. Is it really that much of a risk to say, okay, now we're going to have limits on how fast the car can go. And we're going to have limits on what the car can do when the GPS says it's a hospital zone or whatever. This could very well be the future. And if it is, just remember, you heard it here first. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I will tell you, the the one area, just from a, a consumer perspective, Let's forget about government, but the one area where maybe somebody might be inclined to buy a car like this that had a limit on the maximum speed and had the technology that made sure you couldn't speed in school zones or hospital zones or whatever, and that would be if you're the parent buying the car for your 16-year-old kid, you know, for for the younger drivers, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to get my kid a car, but... I'm afraid my kid's going to be a lead foot, and I, I don't want the kid driving 100 miles an hour. That maybe might be the the niche if you were buying the car for somebody else. That, but for individuals, I, I mean, I just don't see a marketplace for it. It is, of course, the technology, though, and is it that far to believe that maybe the government's going to get around to doing something like that? Speaking of the government getting around to doing things like this, 
I, the 2020 elections are are still what you know over a year and a half away. But already you have a whole boatload of candidates who are running for the Democrat nomination. They think Donald Trump is vulnerable, and you know, depending on who depending on who gets nominated, that very may well well be the case. It's. I will tell you, it's tough to make predictions about politics. You know, almost two years ahead. But there's a lot of people who think Trump is vulnerable. So whoever gets the Democrat nomination, they're going to coast in. So there's a, really a battle going on right now for the the soul of the Democrat Party, because you have the the more conventional center to center left Democrats. The the, the the people in the Bill Clinton mode, the 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 Joe Bidens of the world, and, and to an extent, even like somebody like Nancy Pelosi. And then you have the new breed of Democrats that's gotten elected over the last couple of years. The 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 from like kind of the Bernie Sanders wing, Bernie Sanders and and left. You know the the fire breathers, the socialists, the people who believe that the American system, that capitalism doesn't work. And that what we capitalism has led to all this income inequality. So what we need to do is we need to put in massive taxes to the people who've made money. We need to say, okay, we're going to look at the insurance system, for example. And despite the fact that you've got 155 million people who get insurance through their employers, and most of them are okay with that, you know, we need to blow that up. We need to have the government run this type of stuff. We need to have Medicare for all, even though 40% of the people on Medicare don't get their insurance through Medicare. They go through the, like, Medicare Advantage stuff, the private plans and all. So the the argument is, you know, we, we need to move to the left. One of the things that is being discussed in that regard, and it kind of plays in to the whole trope that's going on now with regard to, you know, race and, and how divided we are when it comes to race in this country, is you have a number of, of Democrats who are running on a platform that includes something along the lines of reparations. The argument goes that, okay, we had slavery in this country until 1863 or 1865 or, or whatever. And as a result, you know, um, minorities have been unfairly treated in America. And it's not just African Americans. It's also you know, people would extend it to, to Native Americans as well. And so the argument is what we need to do is we need to make amends for the stuff that happened prior to 1865. So what we need to do is figure out reparations. I mean, I was looking at a couple stories. There are a number of Democratic candidates who've embraced, you know, uh, again, the whole concept of, of reparations. Kamala Harris, the senator from California, she's in favor of that. You've got Elizabeth Warren, who supports reparations for black Americans impacted by slavery. The estimates are that um, this could cost several T as in trillion dollars. Now, the the idea of reparations, it, it's, it kind of varies. In some cases, some of the people are talking about just taking uh, lump sums of money and, and giving it to individuals. Other people, it's a little bit more complicated. The concept of reparations is taking trillions of dollars and using it Oh, in various 
spending it in in areas that are affected by where the minority groups are particularly affected, but still huge spending. Cory Booker, who is one of the senators from the East Coast, who wants to be president, he wants to come out with an idea of these baby bonds, which essentially would be creating government-funded savings accounts that could total up to $50,000 for persons of color, children of persons of color. So it's this major thing that's out there. Now, you would think that this would be divisive, but interestingly, most of the major Democrat candidates are embracing this, this idea that, well, we we need to make amends. Now, if you wanted to be cynical, you could argue what this really is, is, again, this race towards socialism and this idea that we're going to try to curry favor with a particular voting block by promising that voting block that we're going to give you trillions of dollars of other people's money. Thing is, as we go into this 2020 election, you're going to be seeing all sorts of policies that are out there. This reparations thing, Hillary Clinton wouldn't touch it. Bill Clinton wouldn't touch it. Barack Obama wouldn't touch it. And now this is what's passing for like mainstream policy by a lot of the people who want to be president. I know we say this all the time. It's kind of a cliche, but it's true. Elections matter. Elections have consequences. And I think you can make an argument that maybe this next election, more so than any election in American history, is going to have consequences. It's 155. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. Okay, Tony, before you go, what, I assume you have a you have a mobile phone, you have, you yes. have a smartphone? Yes, I do. Okay, what, what is your smart, which, which iteration of it do you have? It's an older one. I'd say iPhone 6 or 6S, Okay, not positive. Right, see, and, and me too. I mean, I... I, I am still, I am a dinosaur. I've got the, the 5S. Okay, yeah. I mean, and, and the reason is I've actually got one, I've got like a 7 at home, but I, I like the 5S. It fits in my pocket. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It does everything that I need to do. It's got a small screen on it, admittedly so, but that, that's okay. I don't watch video and things like that. And and when the battery died on me uh, last summer when I was at the, the Jerry Kramer thing in Canton, Ohio, I, I, I came back. I went out to the store. I bought a new battery for $49, and it's new. It. So yeah. I And so I admittedly, I am technologically a dinosaur, but it, it serves my purposes. All right. So my wife, on the other hand, who has married a technological dinosaur, but she is not. So here, here's the deal. Sometime last week... She had retired a few months ago, and her her employer had paid for her cell phone. So it now that she's retired, that, that, that stopped. So it didn't make any sense to have a separate cell phone account, and it was a lot cheaper just to add her phone to my account. So we, we go over to the store to do that. Well, um, she's been talking for a while about wanting to, to upgrade to the new brand of the, the new iPhones, the iPhone X. And... Because she is a wonderful woman who puts up with a lot for me. We went there and I said, okay, let's, let's get it. You know, and she was like, well, I don't know that we want to spend the money. I said, hun, you're worth it. Get it. So then we looked at the different types. And so she got the, the, the screen's got to be double the size of mine, but, but she got it. And, it, and it's, you know, for ladies, if you carry a purse, it's not that big a deal or anything. Guys, it wouldn't fit my po- front pocket, but, but so, so we get it. And I have to admit, um, it's, it's been, 
a fine spend expenditure of money because she has just been thrilled with this. She's like, I see like this 10-year-old kid on, on Christmas. She's just been playing with all the things that it does, and she's talking to her friends and her kids. Oh, look what this can do, and it can do this, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so it, it's been it's been great, and it's been fun for me to just kind of watch somebody who so thoroughly enjoys this. The problem is I've lost my wife to the iPhone because... It is such a cool new toy for her, and she's had iPhones before, that it, it, there's all these occasions where I'll say, hun, hun, and I'm trying to get her attention because she's, like, focused on all this. Look what this can do. It's got this new great camera. Here, I can blur this stuff in the back. And I'm going, okay, that that's great, but can we focus for a minute? To the point that um, on Saturday afternoon, we were meeting um, her children and the grandkids and stuff. We were going to go, go bowling, which was fine, except... I don't think I, – I didn't know how to get to the bowling alley that we were going to. This was like her thing, and, and she was going to direct me. So we're driving around, and, and it's like, okay, you got to tell me. Do I turn? Do I turn right? Do I turn left? Because she's kind of focusing on all the cool stuff that's going on. So it's like, all right, just pay attention to me for it just a little bit. Help me get to the bowling alley, and then you can do whatever. But, you know, she just absolutely loved it, and it was, it, it's great. I, I get that. I was thinking about that story when I came across – the story I want to talk about with you. And matter of fact, there's a big piece in the Chicago Tribune today about this. I, I sent out a link to it. If you follow me at Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. One of the things that, that has gone on is last year, 2018, more than 6,200 pedestrians died in vehicle-related accidents in the United States. Right. That is an increase of 50 percent. Let me back this up. 2009, 10 years ago, 4,100 pedestrians died in the U.S. Last year, that had gone up to 6,200 pedestrians, a drastic, a drastic increase. Now, why does that happen? Well, it's a couple things. Um, More people, I think, are driving SUVs nowadays than before. And, you know, SUVs cause greater injuries than cars do at the same rate. So you've got that, number one. Um, I, I think streets, they over the years, they, they've changed streets, and streets are designed to move cars more efficiently, which means more rapidly than ever. So chances are if there is an automobile pedestrian kind of, you know, run in, chances are maybe the injury is going to be more severe. Also, you've got drivers that are more distracted by all the electronics and the texting and stuff. So that those are all factors. But I believe with my heart and soul that the number one reason why you have more fatalities and more injuries in general with pedestrians and automobiles is I believe it's the damn cell phones. I, I, I firmly believe that. And I, I just if you walk around, and I don't care whether you're walking around the streets or a shopping mall or a grocery store or whatever, how often do you see the person who's not looking where they're going? They are immersed staring at their cell phone while they're crossing the street, staring at their cell phone. Yesterday afternoon, we went to that debacle that was a Marquette game. All right, so it's really, really cold. You know, coming out... You know, we, we take a shuttle from one of the, the local places. But, you know, coming out, you got all these people that are pouring out and you're crossing streets and all. I swear, 
without exaggeration, 25%, at least one out of every four and maybe more of the people I saw pouring out a Pfizer forum were staring at their cell phones. They weren't looking at where they were going. They weren't looking across the street. They're just kind of breezing along. I don't know whether they're reading the news of the day or texting or whatever, but they're staring at their cell phones, not really paying attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. And as a result, you see the number of fatalities and I think just in general situations where, you know, cars, pedestrians get hit because of this. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know that there's anything that anybody can do about this other than just like we highlight the dangers of, of texting while driving and tell people don't do it. But I am more and more convinced that the biggest explanation for these numbers is the fact that everybody's got their cell phone and everybody's walking around staring into their cell phone just completely and totally oblivious to what's going on in the rest of the world. And when you're crossing streets and things like that, that's a very dangerous way to be. Have you noticed this? Do you think it's something else? Is it cars that are driving faster or... Are you with me that people just aren't paying attention to their surroundings as they wander around staring at whatever they're staring at on their cell phone? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not calling for cell phones to be banned, and I don't know how you make people pay attention so they look before they cross the road instead of looking at the screen of their cell phone. I don't know that there's any way that you can really do it. I just know that I think people aren't. I think it's getting worse, not better. And I think these numbers of people getting hurt while they're walking around, I think there's more distracted walking than ever before. We're back with your calls in just a moment. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner. By the way, Gordon Lightfoot returns to the Paps Theater this summer. It's June 9th. You can win tickets to listening to my show this week sometime between now and the end of the program. I'm going to be giving away a pair of tickets. Gordon Lightfoot is sure to be the summer concert that can't be missed. He has influenced so many of the people that I just absolutely love. Um, stay tuned all week long for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The number of fatalities involving pedestrians is up dramatically. I, there's a lot of reasons. I think the number one, though, is because people wander around with their noses stuck in their cell phones. I just, I, I was just struck by how often I saw that over the weekend, particularly leaving the Marquette game yesterday. Let's talk to Scott in Oak Creek. Scott, hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Great. Well, I work over at Marquette, and yes, that was a debacle of a game yesterday. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, but I'm all over campus either walking or, or driving a vehicle. And these kids, I refer to them as cell phone zombies. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's bad enough, you know, you have to watch out for them, but then if they're not paying attention, it makes things even worse. Right, because, I mean, you just you just never know when somebody's going to wander out 
into the street because they're they're not looking or they're going to trip and fall because they're they're staring down at whatever it is on the cell phone and I don't know that it's just kids Scott I mean I I think I think it affects lots of people we've just got I don't know somebody's texting me saying my husband calls it cell phone stoned you know we're just kind of like focused on these things you know well absolutely yeah and I and thanks for and I don't know what the answer see I mean I, I wish I had an answer to this so we've maybe and, and it sounds silly because you, you want to say, okay, well, distracted, walking, well, okay. But, you know, we, we've had this big campaign, and I think that most people out there nowadays realize that you, you shouldn't text and drive. It's really a dangerous sort of thing. Maybe it's this distracted walking. Maybe that's the next thing. And I get it. It sounds stupid. You shouldn't have to tell people, all right, when you're wandering around, you know, pay attention to your surroundings. I mean, if, if if there's something that is so important, you've got to answer that text. You know, you've got to check whatever it is. Okay, fine, just stop, move over to the side, get out of the way of things. That's the other thing that does kind of drive me nuts where you're you're walking around. And I had this happen to me in a store the other day, and I hate stores to begin with. But, you know, you're, you're, you're moving around and you're trying to get in a hurry, and there's just somebody who's walking in the middle of the, the aisle incredibly slowly because they're they're texting while they're walking. You want to say, just get out of the way. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tim in Kenosha. Hi, Tim. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Oh, uh, Hey, it's distracted driving. It really is. I'm in a construction trade, and when I'm walking around different places, and I'm an older guy, you get the younger guys with their nose in their phone, texting, <laughs> making a call, and then if you don't say, hey, look up, they'll run right into you, not even realize <laughs> yeah. that they will. Right. And in my in my travels, I travel from Kenosha to Oconomowoc right now. I got a project out there. You'd be surprised how many drivers, because I'm a slow driver, and I'm always in the right-hand lane. You'd be surprised how many drivers you could sadly get close to and see their texting, their eyes are on their phone, they're going all over the place, and you honk and kind of get their attention, and they give you a bad look, you know? Yeah. It's just distracted driving. Well, it, right, it is. Right, exactly. And, and, and look, and I understand you have, I understand that there's this whole universe of stuff out there that now calls our, you know, attracts our attention. But whether it's texting while driving, you've got to take your eyes off the road. That is a bad thing to do. But the, the flip side is, it's just, I understand why we've got so many people that are texting and driving, because you've got so many people that are texting and walking. It's And again, I, I'm not saying put away the cell phones, for goodness sakes, I get it. But it's kind of like one of the things I try to do is if... If there is a message that I just absolutely have to respond to when I am walking around or whatever, and, and candidly, most of them aren't ones that you absolutely have to respond to. I mean, that, that's just the reality. I, I guess maybe the one is, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, you got to get here. So-and-so's in the hospital. But most of the stuff, it's just sort of silly conversations and things it, it's not that you have to respond that second and the truth of the matter is if you i don't know if you're walking to a bar and your cell phone goes off you you can you can that two and a half minutes that you wait to get there and check the text it, it's not going to make any definitive difference one way or the other but one of the things i do try to do is all right First of all, not text and walk, and if it's something I absolutely have to do, well, then just kind of get out of the way and stop and stand there and take care of the business. 
I don't want to walk in front of a car because I'm not paying attention. 414-799-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I'm glad you brought this up because I see texting and walking all the time by adults and just not young people at both uh, parking lots and the gym. And I once even almost bopped somebody in the head with a lap pulled on bar accidentally <laughs> because because that person almost walked into like the machine I was using. Because I mean, in the gym. So they're carrying around their cell phone, texting all the way, huh? Yeah, like texting or like organizing their music and walking around. There's been many times when I've had to just stop and like let someone want, like who was like at their face and their cell phone, cell phone just walk past me. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, there it's there, there's so many different things. And again, I'm kind of a dinosaur with the way I use my phone. But you're right. You can you can do all these. Look, I can reorganize this, or I can play words with friends, or I can do this, or I can do that, or I can do the other thing. Well, okay, that's fine. But don't do it while you're trying to walk because you're going to bump into things, or worse yet, you're going to walk into traffic and bad stuff will happen. Yeah, and the gym that I that I use has like these tables and things off to the side where someone could very easily just go off to, and and go to one of these tables and do whatever business they have with their cell phone with oh, them sure. in, well, in people's ways. Well, no, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, it is. I mean, look, and, and these are the numbers. Like I said at the start of this conversation, okay, we we have gone in this country forty two hundred pedestrian deaths in 2009 to 6100 and and that's not even taking account the injuries that's the that's the deaths and again i understand people are driving suvs there's multiple reasons i firmly believe the number one reason for that increase is because again it's people walking around the cell phone zombies as many of you are describing them clinton in hales corners clinton you're on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon so i've actually run into it where i've been in the crosswalk on my way to work fully attentive but I've had drivers turn when they have that arrow, even though they don't have the arrow and no one's coming. I've almost been struck several times. And I've come across one time where there was an actual cop and he saw the incident but drove right past. Really? I've had that happen. And I'm not making that up. I mean, that, that actually has happened to me. So I don't know. Sometimes if it's even drivers not paying attention to people as they're walking oh, yeah. and actually following the lanes. Well, no, and I and don't get me. I mean, thanks for the call, Clint. And don't get me wrong. I, I know it goes both ways. I, I I get that, and and there's this whole element of distracted driving that's there. And I think you're you're probably right. It, it's not just the pedestrians that are walking with their heads buried in their cell phones. It's the drivers who aren't paying attention as well. Here's a text, Jeff. My son was stationed at both Fort Benning and Fort Hood. Texting and walking is banned at both bases. Severe consequences if caught. Hmm. Justin says, everybody responds to texts and social media alerts like Pavlog's dogs. Well, that's, you know, that's that's true as well. I When when I get a new Twitter follower, and believe me, I love it when you follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter. But, you know, it, my phone dings, right? I, I know that that's, that's a Twitter alert or that's a new Twitter follower. And I am thrilled to have you on board, joining me in the Twitterverse. But the truth is, I, I don't need to. I don't need to stop what I am doing and look to see that Gru is now following me. I will. I will appreciate that, and I will check on it. But I'll, I'll check on it five or ten minutes later, or wherever I get. I don't need to be again like Pavlov's dog. Pavlov's dog, and just stop automatically and say, "Oh, I've got that new follower that's there." Do I? All right. I, I'm, I'm just saying, especially if you're a listener's program. I, I want to be doing this for a while. I want you around. And I don't want you to get run down because you walk in front of a bus in a crosswalk because you've got your head buried in your cell phone. Just saying.
Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have our winner of the first pair of Gordon Lightfoot tickets. We're going to be giving away another pair of Gordon Lightfoot tickets each day of the program this week. So keep listening. And like I say, I'm a huge fan of Gordon Lightfoot. If you look at a lot of the the singers, songwriters who came of age in the 70s and, and that you ask them, who was your influence? And you'll be shocked at how many people would say, well, it's Gordon Lightfoot. So Gordon Lightfoot coming to the Pabst Theater this June, and um, we're going to have tickets to give away each day of the programs this week. So keep listening. I, over over the weekend, I, I actually happened in my spare time to watch a couple things in addition to the, the Leaving Neverland. By the way, if you're just tuning in, we, we – we podcast the program. One of the things that my producer, Gru, does, as soon as the program is over, he gets the podcast and puts it up, and you can go to the WTMJ mobile app, and you can download, or better yet, subscribe to the podcast. We had a fascinating conversation, in my opinion, in the first half hour of the program. There was a documentary on HBO last night called Leaving Neverland, where you have these two guys who, in graphic, and I mean this is adult, this is this is heavy, hard stuff to listen to, talk about how in great detail they were molested by Michael Jackson when they were seven and ten years old, respectively. And we had we had a, a kind of a heated conversation because there's a couple people who continue to believe that Michael Jackson could never do anything like this, and this is just all terrible. I, I believe these guys, I, with no doubt in in my mind, I believe these guys. But in any event, the second part. The second two hours of Leaving Neverland, that's on That's on tonight. But we, we had a fascinating conversation. If you missed it, you can check out the podcast of The Wagner Show, WTMJ.com, and then just the, the apps or the mobile app page. But in addition to watching the, the Leaving Neverland show, I had a chance to, to just by happenstance, to rewatch a couple things. There's, there's the Steve Jobs movie that came out a couple years ago. And I don't think it's a particularly good movie, but it happened to be on, and I, I watched it again. And I also had an opportunity to watch the uh, ESPN 30 by for 30 thing that they did, um, the 30 for 30 documentary, The Last Days of Night, which they, they I, I had it recorded, and I, I just I went back and I watched it again, and it's The Last Days of Bobby Knight. It leads up to Bobby Knight's dismissal at Indiana University. And one of the things... That really comes through, both watching the Steve Jobs movie and and the Bobby Knight piece, the very successful former basketball coach at Indiana, apparently is not doing well health-wise, is these guys were very, very successful, no question about it, but they were bullies in the extreme. I mean, that... They were incredibly abusive. They were abusive to the people that around them. They held themselves to high standards, no question about it, but... They, they were, they would have been awful people to work for. They were screamers. They were yellers. They they were just they were bullies, and they they got results up to a point. Now I was thinking about this because there there was a story in the New York Times the other day, and it, it kind of focused on this this senator from Minnesota, this Amy Klobuchar, who's running for president. She's a bully as well. Now, she's a female, but you're getting all these stories that are out there. And we talked about it briefly, I think, a week or two ago. She's she's a screamer. She is a tyrant. You have, She's having trouble finding people to work for on a presidential campaign because the word in Washington is she's just so miserable to work for. She scream, She throws things at her employees. She berates them. There's a story about how she was um, – 
I don't know, she, she's got an aide who's carrying all her bags, and they're running to catch a plane or something, and she says, I'm hungry, go get me food. And he gets her food, and then they get on the plane, and then the, the poor guy is either lost or forgotten to get the fork. So what she does is she takes out her comb, and she eats her salad with her comb, and then she gives it the guy and says, you clean this up. I mean, it's examples like, like that, that she is just, she's a Bob Knight. She's a, a Steve Jobs. She's a bully. Awful awful, awful to work for to the extent that you know if you sign up for this, you are going to be uh, abused. Now, it might be cool. You work for the U.S. senator. Hey, you're coached by Bob Knight. Hey, you're close to Steve Jobs at Apple. But you understand that what comes with that territory is that, you know, you're going to be bullied. That's the management style that's out there. Now, again, the story in the New York Times that I found so interesting, and I, I have spent, knock on wood, my, and I think I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty confident now that I'm going to get through my entire adult career with not having worked for somebody that I would describe as a bully. I've had better bosses than others, but I, I've never had, you know, that screaming, yelling, shouting, manipulative sort of things. Do, do we have something, Tony, or no? Yeah, we okay. have a traffic situation. Okay, go ahead. Okay, from the WTMJ Breaking News Center, I'm Tony Bedock. This is a WTMJ Pella, WI.com, Time Saver Traffic Alerts. All traffic, 94 eastbound heading into the city, blocked. All lanes, 94 eastbound, are blocked just past the stadium, just past Miller Park. And all traffic is being diverted south on Miller Park Way. Delays are stretching back to as far as the State Park area. That's due to an accident again. 94 eastbound, all lanes are blocked just past the stadium. All traffic is getting off south on Miller Park Way. More details and interactive traffic maps right now at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app, WTMJ Newstime 241. Yes, that does qualify as a traffic situation. All eastbound lanes of the freeway I-94 blocked just to the west of Miller Park. Yes, find an alternative route, and we'll continue to give you updates. In any event, as I was saying, I, I've gotten through, and I'm, I'm pretty now much sure now that I'm, I'm going to get through my entire professional career without working for that real boss from hell. I mean, I'm talking about the person who yells, the, the bully, and we'll use that term to to describe it. Um, I, I've, I've worked for, again, I, I've worked for, I've, I've in general worked for pretty good bosses. I think that's been my experience. Um, but, but not, I've never had the, the screamers. Some obviously better than others, some better at organization, some better at motivating people. But I haven't dealt with that situation where you go in and essentially you're, you're trying, they're trying to motivate you by screaming. They're trying to motivate you by creating fear. They're trying to motivate you by belittling you. I have never been in that situation. And I like to think that I, I never would have been because I think, I don't think I would have responded well to that and I don't think I would have taken it. But who knows? I mean, if I was 33 years old, needed the job all right well maybe maybe it would have been a different situation but that's clearly for some people that's the way they think they need to motivate folks 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line have you had the bully boss and how did you respond was it a good experience i mean the argument would be well maybe the the bully boss you know pushes you and you know causes you to you know causes you to do better because you don't want to be yelled at that that's that motivation have you had the bully boss and how have you responded to it 
Is that a way for long-range success? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, I, I've never worked for that person, and I don't think I would have worked very well in that type of environment. But I don't know. I don't know. People do this all the time. Horrible boss stories. The bully boss, if you had to deal with it. We'll talk in just a moment. 244, this is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's talk to Sam on the east side. Sam, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, have you worked for that bully boss that I'm talking about? Yeah, I was telling the guy that screened the calls. I actually worked for both kinds. And, yeah, and nobody, when we worked for the bully boss, nobody wanted to do extra work. Your team morale was down. Uh, absentee was up. Everything was bad, as opposed to when we worked with a guy that, you know, was just, we respected him. You know, it. It was a complete 180 degree difference. Yeah, see, that would seem to be to be the way because the the truth is, you you can only motivate, you can only get so much out of people by by motivating with with fear, you know. And at a certain point, what's going to happen is you're exactly right. All people are going to do just enough not to get yelled at, and sooner or later they're, they're going to they're going to leave. It's like, gosh, I I don't want to come. At, work is tough enough to begin with. The job is hard enough to begin with without somebody screaming at me for eight hours a day, forty hours a week. Life is too short. I would imagine I would imagine people just take off after a while. They just can't yeah. deal with that. We we never had the entire department there at any one time for more than a three day stretch. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. See, and again, I just intellectually, short term, okay, you, you bring in that, that screamer and you, you get everybody's attention and, and maybe short term, what, what happens is you get some, you get a boost of productivity because everybody's going, oh, oh my goodness, you know, I, I want to avoid this or, or whatever. But long term, it just doesn't seem to me that it's sustainable. And again, like I say, I've, I've never had that. And I, I've worked, believe me, I've worked in industries where there's a lot of egos involved. I mean, you try managing a bunch of, you, you try dealing with a bunch of like high power, you know, lawyers or people who perceive themselves to be high power lawyers or this particular industry where you can't do what I do for a living without having a certain degree of, of ego. And it's just, I, I think the yelling and screaming, does it have a place short term? Yeah. Long term? I, I don't think so. Gene, in Adam's Friendship, Gene, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, um, I would do something with respect. I would stand up to him. I would not cower underneath him. And sooner or later, either he would give you respect or he would fire you and lose a good person. Yeah, right. I mean, because at some point in time, you're, you're just you're just not going to. You're not going to take it. You know, it's kind of like, okay, yeah. well, I'm here. I'm, I'm, life is too short to put up with this kind of stuff. But, but one of the things is, if you cower underneath the person, he is going to continue to do that. If you stand up to him and show him that you're not going to tolerate this stuff, and to be able to show respect to him, and and right. you, that you demand you demand respect from him. Right, and that's what happens with most bullies. You you do that, and you stand up to them, and they tend to back down, or or you just th- that's it. They continue doing it, and you say, "Okay, fine, I'm I'm going to find another uh, occupation." No, thanks for call. Now, somebody sends me a text. It's sad to say the president seems to be the ultimate bully boss. I I think 
that there is fairness. I didn't mean to make this a political topic, but yeah, I was watching this documentary on President Trump on A and E, this three part documentary last week, and yeah, there's there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think there's a lot of he's the classic bully boss that's there. You know, the yelling, the shouting, the demeaning. One of the things, and I think you're you're seeing that. I don't care whether you love President Trump or hate him, but that's one of the things you see with the turnover that's out there. The fact that you know there, there's people who just after a while it just kind of wears them down and they end up you know looking for something else or leaving all right here's the text jeff i had a boss who recruited me to the job i currently have but didn't see a need to train me appropriately since i was an internal hire she told me at one point that people she hired off the street were better than me she would continuously give backhanded compliments and micromanage at one point i started standing up for myself and i was nearly fired until a man another manager took me into her team and now i train people on how to do this job yeah that's the see that that's the that's the thing i've always wondered about the the particular like like the bully boss i think in some respects i think the reason people do that is to kind of cover up in some respects maybe some inadequacies that that they have themselves because it's like I'm going to make myself feel better if I'm going to be screaming and I'm going to be belittling people and I'm going to be doing the things like that. Here, that'll make me feel like I'm a better boss or I'm more successful. Um, I just don't think that's the way that you motivate people in general, which isn't to say that there haven't been successes. Like I said, I'm watching these shows. You got the Bobby Knight thing. Bobby Knight's act eventually wore out. But for, you know, a while he was able to get by with this. Steve Jobs, the same thing. I mean, Steve Jobs was brilliant and he was gifted and they did all these great things at Apple. But, you know, he got fired by Apple once and then they ended up bringing him back. Um, so, I mean, he, he was, he was just absolutely brilliant. Sometimes I think the problem is you have people who are particularly brilliant, maybe in their own field. And they, but they don't know how to manage people. It's kind of like because the other people aren't as brilliant as they are. It's like in in sports a lot of times. I, I don't want to say it never happens, but the superstar athletes rarely make good coaches. I'm not saying never, but they rarely make good coaches because they're they're not used to dealing with people that aren't as skilled as they are. You know, I'm sure they just kind of get frustrated. They. They, at their prime, could do this or that or the other thing, whether it's football or basketball or baseball or whatever. They, they, it just came easily to them, or they were such a natural talent that that's what they had. Whereas if you look at a lot of the people who are extremely successful, again, managing or coaching or whatever, they're, they're people that played the game, but they weren't the best players. They were ones who had to just work their butts off and learn the intricacies of the game and learn all the give and take and that type of stuff. Those are the ones. I mean, you look at you look at some of the people. You look at Craig Council. Craig Council, you know, he was a major league baseball player, a long career, but you know, he he wasn't you know he wasn't Henry Aaron, but he's a guy who knew the nuances of the game. How many times do you see that whole thing playing out? All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, John McCure is in. We're going to find out what he has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.